Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is another request. Listener Corey Crowley asked me to track down Mark Gable of the Australian band Choir Boys. Now, Choir Boys have been around for a while, over 30 years, and have always been very successful down in Australia. They've had a number of hits, including the song you're listening to here, Boys Will Be Boys, but they never really cracked the States. They never really made that big of an effort even to crack the States, and they probably should have. Mark talks about that in here. So what we focus on a lot is Australian success versus American success, and the difference in money, the difference in stature, just what that means in terms of how many people you're touching and how many people are buying your music. It's fascinating to me. I learned a really interesting tidbit here. They have a song called Run to Paradise, which was the 11th biggest selling Australian single of the 80s. We talk about that here in a few minutes. And yet, that would not necessarily be enough to sustain you for the rest of your life. Whereas in other parts of the world that are more highly populated, absolutely that should keep you going for a while. So it's very fascinating. And Mark, bless him, drops many, many names of Australian bands, both known and unknown. And so he really knows his peers and his heritage and who he came up with and who the legends are. And I really, really respect him for that. He also is a bit of a talker. He's pretty chatty. He's been working in radio for years and years. So the guy knows how to talk. He's a funny dude. Choir Boys were discovered by George Young, who is the older brother of Malcolm and Angus Young of ACDC. So we talk about that too. Anyway, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here. You'll probably get turned on to a lot of uh, fascinating Australian bands that you may or may not have known. Mark called me from his home in Sydney, Australia. Do you come to the States very often? Uh, we, we haven't been there for four years, I don't think. So that um, for a good you know, five or six years, we were going over there quite a bit. Um, and not the band, but um, myself yeah. and my partner, Melinda, who's a singer-songwriter. And okay. so we, we'd spend quite a bit of time over there. So, yeah, um, the choir boys really, uh, uh, I was actually just, you know, lamenting that this morning, you know, that we really should have toured mm-hmm. when we had the opportunity. But, um, <laughs> my wife was having our second baby and she really mm-hmm. wanted me to stay, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in Australia so I could be there for the birth. <laughs> and, you know, and so did you never... Place. I mean, we'll just so we'll just keep going from here. But did you? So did you guys ever really tour or make any much of an effort, I should say, to break America or, you know, get an imprint in America? No, I don't think we ever did. You know, really, what it takes is um, it takes a love of what America is, and I, and I think mm. that you have to be there. And as uh, the manager of a band or a couple of Australian bands or three Australian bands. Um, John Woodruff put it to me. Now, John Woodruff managed the Angels, who you may have heard of, mm-hmm. um, if you're into Australian music at all. Um, mm-hmm. And he also managed uh, Savage Garden, right, oh, who sure. uh, had, you know, Big monstrous hits, the hits over there. Yeah. And as he put it to me, this is before he crashed the table um, at the 
Texas Star Cafe in New York. You, I, well, it's, I'm actually mashing two stories together there, but he did crash through the table. Okay. Uh, of course. <laughs> this is in the discussion, and he said, you really have to weave your way into the fabric of what America is. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, like I did promotional tours and stuff uh, of America when we were supporting our album, when I was supporting our album and single, um, uh-huh. And as I said, why aren't you touring? Good question. Well, my wife's having a baby. I didn't go on to that. Um, but uh, uh, people said to me, hey, and I'll do a terrible American accent here. We, we hate it when people come over here and they all want to make money out of America, but they make fun of us and they don't like us. And said so that's, um, I think, is an intrinsic issue with, with a lot oh. of particularly Australian artists who come over there and even a band called Cultures or wrote a song called You Got Nothing I Want because they were really pissed off with the way that the Americans wanted to treat them. And, really? and I thought, I thought, yes, not how it kind of psyche works. And it's funny for a, a guy who's the lead guy in a band that never cracked it in America, I think I have a, a probably an innate understanding of what America is and what it's all about compared yeah. to most Australians. I've actually... You know, funnily enough, despite the fact that we never cracked it, I've spent a hell of a lot of time over there. And I'm really now, why? Of, well, keep going, and then you can tell me why. Well, you know, like American people forget, right, is that we're here playing rock and roll in Australia. Now, rock and roll um, in Australia was probably the most successful in the world per capita. We've got 23 million people here. Sure. To America, it's got to be up to 350 million at the moment, or something, in America. Oh. And so, you know, rock and roll. We, you know, we create in excess ACDC, Midnight Oil, Men at Work, and you know the list yep. goes on. Sure. Um, uh, but most of those are, uh, you know, immigrants. You know, the Scottish, yeah. Irish, uh, English, whatever. Um, huh. But we didn't create rock and roll, right? No. Well, right. It, it yeah. Okay. Created it was created in Beale Street, Memphis, right? And I've even yeah. sung karaoke there. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay. <laughs> and and that's, where, that's where rock and roll started. It started down there near the Mississippi, right? Yeah, and it, yeah. And it was, it was the, you know, the African-Americans, the blacks who were creating this blues thing and didn't even know what they were doing. They were just doing it. And then the yeah. whites took it and they took it to a, a bigger commercial level. And then the English took it to another level. Um, But it all started in America. You started movies. You started, you know, modern art. You started jeans. You started fashion. You know, know, I'm even wearing jeans now, you know. Um, Mm. You know, like you guys created all that. Okay. You know, there's a lot of crazy stuff about America. But there's also... Some amazing stuff, you know, all those huge right. concerts. Very, let's think about all the all the great artists that you guys have created, you know, and you created it because of your culture. And so, right. Australians, I remember that you know some publicists being really pissed off at at the way that the international artists would be treating America, and I had mm. to agree with them. So I would have loved to tour America. Oh. I wish we had have done it because. Choir Boys are an entertaining band. We're a performance band. And, right. And, and that's why In Excess got to be so big, because Michael oh. Hutchins was yeah. just an amazing performer, an amalgam yep. of, of Jim Morrison and, and um, uh, I don't know who else, you know. Um, right. 
just a and, and totally just, perfect front man. Yeah. <laughs> Sexy, charismatic, can sing, yeah. looks great. Yeah. Great songs. Brought up in the same area that I was brought up in. in really? We all knew one another when we were kids, right? Or, you know, when we were in our teens and 20s and stuff. And so they took it to that level. And um, mm. what was my point? My point was that In Excess were perfect for America. ACDC were perfect for America. And the reason that ACDC was so successful is they play great toe-tap and rock and roll, and yeah. they put on a show. They mm. put on a show. And if a band, you know, okay, there are bands that don't put on a show. Like Tom Petty doesn't put on a show, right? Tom right. Petty and the Heartbreakers. Bad right. state music and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But you can't yeah. go over there and go, oh, yeah, you know, we're just super cool. We're big in Australia. We're big in England. We're big in New Zealand. We're big in Germany or whatever. Mm. And expect it to happen. You really have to integrate into... The, Never the, thought of the it that psyche way of what America was, and so yeah. I really regret that because I think that you know, you know we all have opportunities. Like you know, John, you probably had the opportunity to sleep with Marilyn Monroe, and you knocked it. I did, yeah, yeah I did, and I didn't do it, and I still regret it to this you, day. You regret yeah. it, right? Um, I do, okay. I do, big time. <laughs> okay, she'd been she'd been four days dead, but you know you, you right exactly. Okay. But I'd still okay. do it you're, no, anyway. You're probably going to have to edit that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'll but, incriminate myself. It's okay. Uh, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> you you know we, there's there are so many things that we regret, like regrets. I've had a few, sure. but then again, yeah, a few to uh, mention. Of one thing about Frank Sinatra is though that he always took took the opportunity to be successful. So I had that one opportunity. And yeah. and I said no to it because I gave in to to my then wife who yeah. wanted me there when the baby was born. Okay, fair enough. But sure. I should have been a total narcissist and gone, no, this is an opportunity to tour America. Yeah. Bang. We, if so we you never did? It, never did. So if we hadn't done it, it oh, all right, you know, we might have got on yeah. stage and you guys yeah. might have gone, get off, you asshole. Right. You're stuck. You know, we yeah. probably would have done that anyway. But at least you would have known. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I never thought of that, but uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking of the other Australian bands that I would that are kind of a lot like Cold Chisel. Obviously, the when you think Australian pub rock, you think of Cold Chisel. They never made a dent over here. Even um, Midnight Oil, as great a band as they were, their dent their dent was you know one technically one hit, and then a bunch of other songs that sort of. You know, got some airplay on alternative radio and stuff like that. They were probably yeah. too uniquely Australian to really, truly make a huge, you know, splash here. And you guys are probably in that same vein. I had never thought of that yeah. before. Okay. Yeah, well, though I think we were probably more Americanized than most, you know, whereas... Well, I think your sound AC- proves that, yeah. Yeah, but ACDC spoke international, that's all, you know. Yeah, Media, right. chicks, party... Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. da 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 da. You know, yep. and it was just you know the common man, you know, yep. common woman. Crunchy ribs are universal. Yeah. Doesn't you know, matter where then, you are, those make those work. Yeah. Okay. Okay. They, you know, had the the little guitar singers out there as a school kid, um, just as a school kid. How the Americans got that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, like here in Australia and in England, everybody used to wear school uniforms, but they yeah. never did that in America. Like no. how they got that, they go, hey, what's that guy wearing up there? He looks like a uh, bus boy or something. Right. Um, but 
something something I deeply regret, yes. Interesting, yeah. Okay, well, that makes sense. But now, mm-hmm. having said all that, so I um, I was vaguely familiar with you guys before the listener, whose name, by the way, is Corey Crowley. I should say that because he submitted some questions he wanted me to ask you, which I'll get to later. But mm-hmm. um, I um, I was vaguely familiar with some of the hits, you know, that it had maybe I'd heard a few times. They, it's not like they're evergreens here in the States where they get played all the time. But I came across this little factoid that I want you to confirm for me that I can't get out of my head. Was Run to Paradise the 11th best-selling single in, of the 80s in Australia? Yes, it was. Um, and because even though it was never number one in nationally, it was number uh-huh. one in each state at different times. Wow. But it, it just kept selling, and it was released, I think, in the latter half of the year, second half of the year, um, or the early part of the year, whatever, I can't remember. And it okay. kept selling through that year and into the next year. And so it, it spanned two... Uh, whatever you know, yeah. uh, whatever they call it, like um, cycles, reference times. Uh, yeah, yeah and right. So it it just kept selling and selling and selling, and so it just sold ridiculously well, and it gets constantly played on radio here. Really, um, it, it'll be like my Sharona over the over in. Okay, know, well, it's funny you say that space. because, for comparison's sake. I tried to look up what the 11th best-selling singles in the in of the 80s in America was. I couldn't yeah. find that. I, I, I did come across a list, but I think it was a ranking, and it was "You May Be Right" by Billy Joel. But the 11th best-selling single in the UK of the 80s is "Tainted Love" by Soft Cell, which, <laughs> if anything, is is overplayed. Everyone, you know, I'm almost sick of that song, as good as it is. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but you I know, just... it's like, I think when I've looked up, I'm sorry to interrupt there, John, but I no, have looked ahead. up, the, you know, the top best-selling singles of, of all time, and I, I can't remember what number one is, but it's, it, I, oh, yeah, I do. And it's by Bing Crosby, of course. Um, White Christmas. Uh, White Christmas. And then yeah. you go down the top ten, and they're really quite shocking as to what they are and if record oh, yeah. companies looked at that we wouldn't have rock and roll <laughs> oh I know I know well it's ridiculous which ones they are I mean like the Elton John Princess Diana tribute thing is in there somewhere and that's right it is crazy. Too, yes. you know and 
you we are the world probably is in there somewhere anyway yeah i just thought that was fascinating that because okay so one of the things that we try to cover sensitively in the podcast is the business side of people's musical careers because i end up talking to and i don't think this necessarily applies to you really but i end up talking to a lot of people who maybe had one hit in 1987 and then that was it and i what we try to find out is like can you pay your bills on that? Can you continue to make a living on something that you created 30 years ago that still, you know, gets played here and there? So even though the rest of the world might not be familiar with Run to Paradise, you're sitting on this gift that keeps on giving, a song that has grown its own legs and created its own life still to this day, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, well, you know, you you crossed on two platforms there. You came across two platforms, and, I, and I'll try to cover them. But the first platform is, yes, look, it's it's given me a lot of money, and you know, because my ex-wife has most of it. Um, uh, <laughs> but you know, I'm I'm now with a, a new partner, and we have a four-year-old, and it it just keeps on generating money. And and wow. and for those who uh, huge fans of Warren Buffett, and by the way, Warren Buffett is not a huge fan of Donald Trump, it would appear. Yeah. But um, yeah. if, if <laughs> I don't know who uh, is or why, but we don't have to get into politics. Yeah, I don't understand but, well, that one. Warren Buffett is the, uh, the the most successful investor in the world. You know mm-hmm. um, now, um, and he talks about things like passive income. Now that's mm-hmm. what songwriting is. You, yep. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I wrote, mailbox I money, the as they say, that's right? right. I, I mailbox money, that's right. Yeah. Because you guys still get checks. We don't do it here in Australia, you know, yeah. um, which is really nutty. You know, we, we just, you know, it just goes into our bank accounts. But um, um, it's called passive income. So I right. wrote it in 1986, know, and then we released it in 87, I think, and then... Uh, away it went, and it just became mm-hmm. part. It's become part of the Australian psyche, um, yeah. and it's one of the not. I won't say it's the most popular song of Australia, but it's one of them. One you of know, them. A, See, a I just I think that's fascinating, considering that again, like you said, as, you know, unfortunately, you never really crossed over into the states where. where and I, I'm not saying the states is the end all, beat all, but for most bands. Conquering the state seems to be like the ultimate goal, you know, and um, for for having you guys never done that, you have this song that most people don't even know, and yet it's one of the most successful songs of all time in your country. Yes, in 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 this country, and even you know, if people listen to it in the states, they go, "Wow, what a great song!" (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, and and there's a stack of great songs by bands that never cracked you know, the states who were geared up to crack the states sure. because we were geared, we were a worldwide, uh, you know, we mm-hmm. we were a powerful musical entity at that time. And there were a mm-hmm. few bands that broke through and there were a few bands that should have broken through. Maybe Choir Boys should have been one of those. But another one yeah. was a band called Dragon, who were actually a New Zealand band.
Bye. Um, oh, I don't know. I just got, they've got the most amazing songs. I mean, it's unbelievable. You listen to the songs, you go, wow. I mean, really? there's only like 15 or 20 songs that are just should have cracked the states. But unfortunately, oh. the lead singer, Mark Hunter, um, in one of the best performers, probably better than Michael Hutchins, who was astonishing. Really? Uh, very tall and, you know, charismatic. He decided to get a little crazy on drugs one night. I can't remember oh. where it was. It was over in America. And uh, go a little nutty on stage mm-hmm. and say the most insane things. And the band left stage. He didn't even know the band had gone. And I think he did a few crazy things, and that was the end of the tour. So it was mm-hmm. all over for them. And <laughs> wow. I know them quite well. There's only one of them left alive at the moment. Oh. And Todd Ty- Hunter, his brother, um, a lovely guy, and he goes, oh, if he wasn't already dead, I'd kill him now. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so, you know, you, nice. you, there, there, there is the most amazing collection of songs by, yeah. by and even even the songs that Cole Chisel wrote, the, yeah. because it was intrinsically about Australia, um, and right. never they never really gave at the time to work into the American psyche. They have amazing songs, um, yeah. and, and so yeah, I I'd forgotten what the point was, but you know, well, it basically, was, let me just ask you directly. I mean, could you effectively live off? Just royalties from Run to Paradise for the rest of your life? No, I don't. I don't think so. If I if I lived meagerly, yes, I could. Uh, oh, interesting. But with, but the, with the way that we're living at the moment, <laughs> right? You got bigger things, a, right? Yeah. We, yeah. We just we just built a house, you know. So. Oh, got it. Um, okay. I, I need to draw. I've done radio shows and. Sure. I've, uh, yeah. You know, I also do performances with different people and. Oh. You know, I've gone, gone out on the road with Steve Kilby, who's a singer from a band, an Australian Love band called The Church. The Church. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and, you know, there's a whole lot of other different things that, that I do. And, huh. and it's coming down to this, that the people that can sing my kind of music, not well, particularly in Australia, they're running out. They're all dying. Um, yeah. And I, I guess that's happening all over the world. But, you know, there's there's very few people that can do what I do. So there's more and more people calling me up and asking me, could you do this? Could you do that? You know, even no. I spoke about Dragon. Well, mm. you know, the, the Todd rang me up and said, if our singer who replaced Mark Hunter, um, mm-hmm. if he can't do it, you know, if he gets sick or anything, would you be able to do it? You know, and there's a couple of other people oh, that I really can't mention now that have asked me to do it. Sure. Um, but ACDC didn't ask me to do it because they hate me. <laughs> I don't blame them. And they thought Axl Rose would be a bigger bet, or a better bet, right? Well, I Jury's think he's done outstanding Yeah, I've heard job, really good things. You know? That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah I've had friends who've seen him, and I guess he's shown up and singing well. He goes well on stage on time, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and a miracle. And even though it's like, and I personally I prefer him more than Brian Johnson, but Brian Johnson is probably a much better person you know, yeah. Um, even though I've only met Brian briefly. Hello, how you going? You know, oh. But but actually, I've never had any interest <laughs> in meeting. Huh. Right? Are you not a big ACDC fan? Sorry. Are you not a big ACDC fan? I'm a huge ACDC fan. We were signed on the same label for uh, okay. uh, seven years. Albert's Productions here in yeah. uh, Australia. You know. So and were you? Do I have this right? Were you? Uh, discovered by Malcolm's older brother George 
That's correct, yeah. You know, yeah, seen, you had been a member I, I of the Easy Beats? Yes. Now, the okay. Easy Beats were another outstanding band. Sure, Friday on my mind. You know, from, from the 60s, you know, so. Yeah. Um, and actually, if you, if you talk about Angus Young and Malcolm Young, the real talented one of the brothers is George Young. He's yeah, like, I skipped over Angus. Sorry, yeah, Malcolm <laughs> and Angus. Whoops. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he's, George, he's the one who discovered you, is the really talented one. I think he's the one that created ACDC. You know, he he's really the one that told them how it all works. Because he'd already done it, and what he claims he fails with the the Easy Beats. I think they're a huge success. But yeah. he used all that knowledge with his younger brothers. And I mean, oh, my God, you know, what an incredibly yeah. talented family. Yeah, I'm a huge no ACDC fan. Okay. Okay. Just curious. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good. Well, thanks for, I mean, thanks for being kind of specific about the the money side. I just, I wanted to kind of paint a picture for anyone listening of what, relative to what success might be in other parts of the world, what a song like that you know, means in Australia versus what it might mean in the UK or in America or whatever. Um, yeah, well, you you okay. know how much, like, if you had an equivalent song in America, you only need the one song if you're the songwriter. Uh, mm-hmm. It would generate you more money, you know, from yep. radio play and, yeah. you know, and sorry, sales or whatever. It would generate more money than you could possibly spend. <laughs> yeah, I bet. It's just, yeah, no it, kidding. You, you're talking, how many radio stations do you have in America? Goodness, I don't even know. Thousands? Yeah. It's it's tens of thousands, right? Yeah. And your population is over 300 million. Our population is over 20 million. And so you you take what I earn and you go, I don't know how many times that is, you know. So I'd be getting getting checks in the region of like every every quarter for over two or three million dollars. Yeah, well, yeah, probably. Okay. Well, you guys had other hits too. I mean, Struggle Town. I remember, you know, vaguely again. I remember Struggle Town and. where choir boys broke up or stopped or came to a halt or had a lean period? Or have you guys been sort of a continuous entity for like 30 years now? We've been a continuous entity for, it will be 40 years next next year. That's when we really started. Um, That's when I met Lindsay, the drummer, and we kicked around starting the band. but uh, we find now our first guitarist, who is if you ever listen, if you ever want to hear a great guitarist, I'm not, I'm talking as good as Eric Clapton. I'm talking as good as Eddie Van Halen. I'm talking, you know, that good. This guy was oh, wow. astonishing. And he only did one album because 
he was a total screw up. You know, he like yeah. you know, drugged and drank himself and really? you know, immobilized himself with his own I must destroy myself, I must fire right. and it, it, it's another guy I want to wring his neck because you have got so much talent and yet really? you are fucking it up. You're screwing he just it up. It away. Oh just, man. What is the matter with you? And this guy, I'm telling you, if you listen to our first album. Yeah. Listen to the I like your first album that. a lot, by the way. frightening you know and uh, on stage he was incredible he used to take his clothes off his snot used to come out of his nose uh, <laughs> he used to yes. be on stage he was eccentric he was wild you know if you would yeah you know, huh. you know no, well, so let me i mean or something he'd push he, he you out gonna, of the way sure <laughs> he was the guy with the charisma so i mean oh. I'm I'm making a connection here, and you tell me because I wasn't there, and it's a different culture. But you know, you guys are consistently categorized as pop rock, and is you know, of course, drugs and debauchery and indulgence and stuff like that is part of the rock and roll rock and roll culture. But is it even more so or different when you are considered a pop rock band? I assume that label comes along because you're playing in a lot of pubs, and maybe there's a culture there or a culture that goes along with that kind of a career that speaks to more alcoholism than might otherwise be the case? Or am I drawing a, you know, is that a dead end? Is that not a real conclusion? No, you know, you might be hitting on something that hasn't been hit on before. Oh, <laughs> well, that's me. You know, because it's, it's <laughs> I'm a genius, Mark. I'm a genius because, you know, yes, pub rock and... and you know, it's a cultural thing. Like, America created rock and roll because of the culture. Because, yeah. you know, you'd freed the slaves 300 years or 200 years before, and then they were struggling to adjust and everything, so they created their music, and, and their music developed, and, you know, it was allowed, and, you know, and it you know, crossed over, and da-da-da. What Australia had was <laughs> mm-hmm. all the men after work, and particularly on the sure. Fridays, used mm-hmm. to go to the pub and drink to get away from mm-hmm. their wives and the responsibility. And, and and so in the first part of last century, pubs popped up everywhere. And it's mm-hmm. what we did, beer. You know, mm-hmm. Australian mm-hmm. men drank beer. And so Fosters. we had so many yeah. pubs. And as a consequence, you know, they people would go there and they wanted to hear music. And music, yeah. you know, developed. And so sure. 
that's where the A chord was invented. Apparently, right, right. Uh, uh, nobody had played the A chord before Australia came along. Um, I'm kidding. It was actually uh, uh, the guitarist from the suite that told me that. I said, what's good mm. about Australian rock and roll? He said, oh, you invented the A chord. He goes on the guitar. This is a sound check when we were doing a show together. Um, right. <laughs> but it's nice. so true. You know, it's yeah, like, okay. And well, because I'm wondering, you know how like in jazz, you know, Coltrane and Miles Davis and those guys in the 50s, everyone had a heroin problem. For some reason, <laughs> heroin... Well, I, you know what I mean. It was just yeah, it was embedded true. in the culture of of bop and jazz in the club circuits of the fifties. And I'm wondering if, just by virtue of the name, if alcoholism is more rampant in the pub rock genre or category than it might be in you know pop or rock or whatever. Oh, yeah, at least yeah, in Australia. Okay. I think I think we've hit a point there. So because it's you know pub rock, men, beer, sex. Yeah. And sure. the, the the girls who come along right? to see guys. the shows, yeah. you know, would always be pulling their tops down and showing us their boobs sure. and stuff. So, you know, it was evident that that's what it was all about. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah man, that's rock, we man. Here. We're that's Australians. Right. We don't like art. We love football. That's know? right. Yeah, and we love football and having sex with women. Or <laughs> so, as you that's what rock music all about. Sex. Yeah. We have sex with kangaroos. You know? <laughs> if you're from New Zealand, you have sex with sheep. You know, so that's uh-huh. what okay. I thought. Yeah, I think, you know... Okay, you, you just curious. I'm trying to paint a picture. Okay. Yeah. Now, i got to ask you specifically, your voice is unlike anything I've ever heard. And it's high, it's very clear, it's very clean. And, I mean, I'm again, I'm kind of associating it maybe with Jimmy Barnes because of Cold Chisel, he's got that high-pitched kind of voice, too. But his is, like, soaked in nicotine and whiskey, you know? <laughs> it's just got it's, gravel it's right over it. It was vodka. He well, was whatever. Drinking, okay, vodka. Is that it? He vodka like you would Okay. Yeah. I've always romanticized it to be whiskey, but okay, vodka. Okay. So, but yours is, like, so pristine and clean. It almost sometimes, i got to be honest, it almost sometimes doesn't feel like it even matches the music that you're playing. It's cleaner and clearer and prettier than the music. Does that make sense? Am I weird by saying that? Or uh, I don't know. I just think your voice well, you, is a very unique instrument. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, I, think, I, I think that's a compliment. Um, well, sure. Because, it's just, a, it's just it's different. A, I reckon that when Pat, is it Pat Monaghan from Train? Right? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Point. When he finally implodes, then I'm going to take his gig, right? Uh-huh, <laughs> yes. Because we have we have a, a probably similar kind of range and a similar kind of voice. Good um, point. I didn't think of that. Yeah, you're right. You when I first started, I just had a really amazing falsetto, and I you know I didn't sing rock and roll. I just sang, and it was a very clean voice, and it probably still is, you know, mm-hmm. to a degree. But in 1983, I ruptured my vocal cords. Uh, yeah, I heard one about vocal that. Cord. And then, you know, I lost all my full set on, and I had to learn to sing differently. Um, mm-hmm. And that, what you're hearing is the the end result of that. Stay! 
I also lost quite a few notes off my full range, and so I had to um, work to sing, you know, very, very differently. Um, and in many ways, it was so much better because I had to focus on other things. So one of the things that I like to kind of touch on sometimes here are sort of like the transitions that rock stars, we'll call you a rock star, go through, goes through in their life, where they grow up with a lot of ambition, and they're writing songs, and they're in their room, and they hope that one day they can be a rock star. They're imagining themselves on, you know, teen magazines and stuff. And then it starts to happen. And now we've established that choir boys have never completely gone away. So it's not like you had a, you know, had a fall from grace or anything like that. But what was it like when success started to come to you and you realized that you were living your dream I'm assuming it was your dream of making music as a li- for a living. Do you remember a moment? Was there a moment when it crystallized, like you got a big check or you, I don't know, something. Uh, you were getting enough success where you thought, this is real. I'm a, I'm a professional musician slash rock star now. Yeah, I think that, well, I was in bands in the 70s and I was making a living out of it there because the scene was so alive in the mm-hmm. 70s in Australia. But um, when you start getting big checks, you go, wow. And I paid off, you know, the house that I bought um, mm-hmm. in nine months. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, okay. Wow, this is going to yeah. be cool, you know. And this is going to mm-hmm. keep on going forever. I think that, um, you know, when I heard a, a, a local radio station here say, and this week, Choir Boys Run to Paradise is number two, and I actually heard it on the radio, um, two in the charts this week on the on the, the triple M charts, and I went, wow, yeah, that's the, the, a sense of arrival. Next week was number one, but I didn't get that same feeling. Then you're beset by the thing of how do you sustain it? Yeah, right. now yeah, a lot of bands are successful. That's why you have the one hit wonders, you know, that, that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but sustaining it is another a whole different ball game and a very right. different difficult ball game, and so. Yeah. I think that in hindsight, what occurred to me, I look back at it and I go, hey, Mark, you took it way too serious. It ain't that serious. Mm, <laughs> really? It's rock and roll, idiot. You know? <laughs> yeah, but I would it's imagine, I mean, that's, really, that's a really fresh and different perspective, actually. I, I hadn't thought of it. That was, well, you know, of course, in hindsight, when you're able to continuously pay your bills through music, you can sit back and be like, oh, I did it. I don't have to, you know, grind or hustle anymore. But at the time, yeah, you got you're probably getting a lot of pressure to have continuous hits. It's probably yep. playing on your psyche if if suddenly the crowds are starting to get smaller and smaller and the albums are not I think Yo-Yo is probably my favorite album of yours and I think I read that it only barely scraped the top 200 or something. That's got to be like playing on your on your emotions and or is it? I don't know. Are you just thinking that? Eh, Next time? I think that you, <laughs> it's like everything. You just bump into walls and just keep on doing this and doing that. You know, it was the same then. It was like, look, you know. Yeah. We, we talk, you talk about, you know, uh, not so much Donald Trump, but you talk about Warren Buffett right now. Warren Buffett uh-huh. lives in, where does he live, Omaha, right? Um, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, now, he's got a particular knack about something. He's got a particular mm-hmm. knack for investing and making money, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, his wife still left him, right? <laughs> because mm-hmm. she was unhappy, right? And he, he at that point was still, 
second richest guy in the world, right? But mm-hmm. she still left him, right? Because True. she just wasn't happy. So right. it, just because somebody is good at making money doesn't mean that they're good at other things, right? And yeah, I think true. that in all probability, I, you know, I'm a singer in a rock and roll band, yeah, and I've got a, a, a skill for it, but I reckon I should have been a lawyer, right? I don't know, mm. you know? There were a few, like Eddie Van Halen should have been a guitarist, right? Mm-hmm. But his, his brother, I don't know whether he should have been a drummer, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> well, he right. started out yeah. as the drummer, and then Alex became the drummer, and he moved to guitar. That's- that's right, you know. And yeah. so, you know, Jimi Hendrix was born to be a guitar player, right? Right, um, right. Uh, you, you, you know, Aretha Franklin was born to be Aretha Franklin, the singer. Sure, right? of course. And so, yeah. um, you know, these are, the, these are the things that it comes to with me. You go, wow, you know, because I'm really good at repairing things, right? I'm mm-hmm. really good at playing Xbox, right? Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm good at photography. You know, I love it, right? Mm. Um, cool. And I'm I'm good at singing, but I don't think I'm as good as my partner is. Right? I think there are people that do it better. Oh. Than that. And Melinda Schneider is her name. She's okay. an incredible singer. She I mean, she can sing rock and roll, R and B, blues, um, uh, you know, soul, uh, okay. and country like. Nobody. <laughs> is she a known singer? I mean, is, does she in, have in albums? Australia, yes, stuff? she is, yeah. Of nature. I mean, my God, she can see. That's great. Um, anyway, uh, so so the point being is, I'm here. You feel like you're doing what you were put here to do. I couldn't have done anything else. I was dyslexic yeah. at school, so yeah, right. I had, had to go to music. The Beatles came along, and I went, "Wow!" Just like Dave yeah. Grohl. He goes, "I mm-hmm. got to do music." We're a bunch of idiots, right? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the Beatles were an exception to the rule. You know, right. they were freaks of nature. They were born to do what they were born to do. What I'm right. saying is that I could have done a lot of things, but I chose rock and roll. I chose right. music. Um, yeah. And it, it's intrinsic. It's in my heart and soul. And it's in everything I do. But I also realize there are a whole lot of people out there who are a whole lot better at it than I am. Right. Well, if but you guys carved the niche for Sure it does. But you guys carved the niche for yourselves. You're a great band. And if it was dubious before... You have an amazing voice. Your band is so gritty, and your voice is so clean. And so sometimes yeah. there's, it feels like 
they almost don't go together, but yet they do. That's what's ama kind of amazing about it. Anyway, let me throw in some of these questions that Corey asked me to write to sure. ask you. One of them, which is probably an obvious question, any plans to ever tour the states? And it sounds like you've never been able to do that, and now would probably not be the time. You can confirm or deny. It. Do you think that'll ever happen? Oh, I would love it to happen, but you know, it would have to happen on a basis that. Um, oh, there's an Australian band coming over. They're really old, mm -hmm. and yeah. and they're big in in Australia. Do you want to come along and see them? <laughs> that's what I, that's what I'm wondering too. And I'm trying to think who that who that would be. I mean, ACDC, but they can get you know, no offense, they can get big, bigger openers if they need them than Choir Boys. Midnight that's Oil right. isn't an entity anymore, and Excess isn't an entity anymore. I no, can't think of another no. Australian band that is out here active anymore. No, well, you know, I, there, there isn't any, anybody. And, and really, there's only... Uh, the bands have broken up and reformed um, in Australia. We never broke up. And you, it was an, to, to answer an earlier question, we've had a lot of member, members change. We've fired mm -hmm. them, they've left, and they've mm -hmm. you know, had this person and that person. Now we've got the semi-original lineup. The guitarist replaced our original guitarist, Brad Carr. Um, but there's only three... Bands in Australia that have never broken up. Choir Boys, another local band called The Radiators, and mm, another sure. local band called uh, Mental as Anything. And um, we're the only oh, three yeah, that I Mental know. Mental as Anything, I forgot about them. Yeah. They're, okay. They're not a rock band; they're a pop band. But True. You know, we're the only bands I know of that have never broken up in Australia. Everybody else wow. broken up, and they go, "Let's reform and make some money." You know, so yeah, we've always right. stuck to our guns in that that regard. Hmm. Okay. Well, hopefully it happens one day, or Corey finds a way to get to Australia to see you. Do you guys still well, play where, regularly? Where <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to misstate. Sorry, Corey, if you're listening. So okay. So then he also wanted to know, and I had the same question too. Will your albums ever be reissued? Because some of them are very difficult to find. Like Midnight Sun, your debut, they're not on iTunes, they're not on Spotify. I mean, is there any plan or any kind of talks around maybe reissuing, repackaging these things so that they're a little easier to get your, our hands on? Well, I think with Midnight Sun, there might be, but with our uh, debut album, I don't think because of our ongoing uh, bad relationship with Albert's Productions, um, who deny that we ever existed on the label. <laughs> really? <laughs> they don't deny what? it. They just, they just did a documentary on, on the Albert's years of like ACDC, Rose Tattoo, The Angels, and all these other acts, and they didn't mention us, which was really oh. funny. <laughs> really? Because, oh, well, I've got a, a mouth on me, and I upset them. And also we urinated in the air conditioning unit when we were mm. there, so I don't think that, that would might have had really something to do with it. <laughs> yeah, and there's other things as well. Um, okay. But getting our first album out again might be difficult. There was one more question that the reader wanted me, or the listener wanted me to ask you. He sent me a question that was a little bit insidery. He wanted to know where the song Bombs Away came from, from your dead, drunk, live hangovers album.
He wasn't sure if it was a cover. It doesn't appear on any of your albums, so he didn't know where that song fit in. Yeah, see, um, <clears throat> Albert's Productions, uh, which is, of course, where, uh, you know, ACDC came from, um, mm-hmm. another Australian band, The Angels, who rose tattoo on ourselves. Um, but they had a Studio 3, and uh, when we were writing a bunch of songs for one particular album, uh, we were down in Studio 3, and it was the size of a basically a bedroom, so I'd had a, a Neve, Neve desk in there. They had Neve desks everywhere. Actually, I had four studios. And so Studio 3 was songwriter studio. And so we had a tape machine and a booth. And we put Lindsay, our drummer, in the booth and we recorded the drums to that and a, and a couple of other songs. Um, and it was... I forgot who was president then. America's president? Yeah, yeah. No, we don't have a president. We have a prime minister. Yeah, right. Um, The first George Bush? I think it might have been Ronald Reagan at that time. Was it 1982 or something like that? Oh, sure, sure. Of course, yeah. He was 80 to 88. Yeah, so what what I was worried about was because um, this was when it became first evident that really anybody could be president of the United States. Mm. You've got an actor who was yeah. president of the United States. We might States. be proving that again here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I was like quizzical about the whole thing. So I I uh, I wrote the song Bombs Away about that. You know, it's like, mm. and it's all all about a, a an unprompted attack on Russia by the United States. Sorry, guys. Didn't happen. Never would have. Right. Interesting. Yeah, so that's okay. what the song's about. Yeah. Ah, cool. Okay. It's basically, basically a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. Or a, well, or a supposed lunatic in charge of the red button. <laughs> that's uh, those were the years. That's how we all felt. You know, we weren't sure back then, especially during Cold War period. We didn't know what we were in for. You know, who was in charge and how do they feel and what are we up against? That was the. Sounds like you guys even felt that or understood it at least over in Australia. Um, oh, that's it. And not that we're talking about politics, but you know, this upcoming election has been front page news, not just here but all over the world, primarily really? the, the the internet. Um, but I yeah. guess what it's really uh, what's occurred to us all is that when a, whenever there has been, and certainly whenever there will be an election in America, it's a world election. It's not just oh. an election for America. So that's why I'm. Um, I'm going to uh, put it to uh, the American Parliament that um, the whole world gets to vote for the American president. <laughs> Do you think that'll work? I, I would I think, like that, that unless that means a higher likely, unless that makes it more likely that Trump will become our president. If all you people want to vote for Trump just to like send us a message or something, I would rather you not vote, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know whether this would be a revenge tactic. You know what I mean? All those countries out there who are like, you guys think you're so great. Here, I'm going to vote for Trump and make you sit with it. That, yeah, uh, that I, would be I, I, would, I don't even, well, there would be people, obviously, that, you know, I've met people, musicians here, they go, I like Trump. I go, okay. Oh. You, know, well. uh, you know, there's aspects that I like about him, but there's... Sure. Other other things that I don't like about him, of course, but you know, it really comes down to it. There's only two people um, that you have in the election. We obviously want to talk about the election, but we are. Yeah. 
that there's only two people you have and it's like, what did somebody say? I was listening to the ABC a rundown on it and they said that these are the, the two least popular candidates yeah. that America's ever had. They are. They are. I, said, wow. I don't like either of them. I know. It's ugly. <laughs> I don't like either of them. And, and, and I, I, again, we're not really talking about – I'll make one final little statement about the political landscape just because I understand the appeal of a Trump-like figure, some kind of outsider who wants to come in and sort of disrupt yeah. the, the traditional two-party system that we have that's, that no one really likes but no one will do anything to change and who's kind of an outsider and wants to sort of dial down political correctness and all that kind of stuff. I love that. That's why I liked Bernie Sanders a lot. But Trump yeah, is yeah, not yeah. the guy ultimately for this job, I don't think. But that's yeah. That's well, see, me. Bernie Sanders, Sanders would have been Saunders would have been great, but they would have killed him. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, I it's know. like he was so radical that I thought he right. has no place in American politics because yeah. he's so his concepts are so radical that they'll yeah. never happen. No, anyway. I know. And he's in his but own he, way just as outlandish as Trump is in his own way. It's just some of the things Bernie was saying you might actually want to have happen. But anyway, all right. Oh, look, look, I hope, I hope it all works out, whether Hillary gets in or whether, you know, Trump yeah. gets in. Um, yeah, I, I hope that too much doesn't change, you know, like I can't yeah. see that anything radical is going to happen anyway, you know. Yeah, okay. All right, all well, right. let's talk about rock and roll again for a minute. So yeah, being I mean, Australian, politics are so great. <laughs> <laughs> I'd much rather my my I'd much rather talk about rock and roll. Um, sure. So now you being Australian, I'm assuming that you've interacted with some of my favorite Australian bands, and I'll throw out some of the obvious names. But I want to start with somebody who's been on our show before and who I am a huge fan of, but he kind of like yourself, unfortunately, is a little bit of a cult figure in Australia and almost nothing in the States, and that's Dom Mariani of The Stems and The Some Love. Do you know Dom? Have you ever crossed paths with Dom or know who he is? No, never have, and primarily because um, he has always been uh, deemed to be indie, right, and whereas yeah. we're more mainstream, and so okay. the, two, the two never mix, um, okay. or at least very rarely. The only, only time that um, uh, I've crossed paths with what you would deem indie music as Steve Kilby from the church, and mm -hmm. uh, we've gone out and done shows together. Uh, but it very rarely happens because um, we don't necessarily look down on the indie situation, but the indie situation looks down on what we do because we just mm -hmm. do music for the common man, as it were, sure. or woman. Okay. Um, okay. So, no, we've never crossed paths, so I can't tell you a story. Oh, okay. No, that's okay. I was, I was just curious. I didn't know if... It was such a smaller community that everyone knew each other, or it sounds like there's a hierarchy there too. Okay, so you got to tell us. There is a hierarchy here, like there is in America, because okay. you know it's like, you know, you 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 won't see. Um, oh, I was trying to think of somebody, but you you know you won't see Lou Graham hanging out with Lou Reed, if you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, well, makes perfect well, not sense. anymore, anyway. Yeah, not anymore, unfortunately. Okay, um, now my all-time favorite songwriter. One of my all-time favorite artists in general, and I realize he's from New Zealand, not Australia, is Neil Finn. Have you ever yep. crossed paths with Neil Finn or Crowded House? We've never played together, but we've done shows with Split Ends, who were the previous band that Neil yep. and Tim Finn were in. And uh, 
you know, he let's you know, if people don't know, um, Tim Finn, who's Neil's brother, was the lead singer of Split Ends, right? The, the very successful New Zealand band, particularly in New Zealand, of course, and Australia and Canada, not so much America. Um, right. And and Neil uh, replaced his Tim's Tim Finn's younger brother, Neil Finn, replaced the guitarist for Split Ends when he left, and so. Uh, that's when I first saw Neil was performing with Split Ends, and he did an amazing job, of course. And sure. you would never have known that he was going to be such an, a successful songwriter um, until I heard uh, one of the greatest Split Ends songs called "I Got You." And mm-hmm. if you're familiar with the song, it's an outstanding very, song. I am very. I am very Yeah, and it was sung and written by Neil Finn, and I went, "Wow." Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that uh, after Split Ends broke up, um, there would have been competition between the two brothers because they did not work together. Tim Finn went and had a successful album in Australia um, called Escapade. And Neil, of course, uh, formed um, The Malones, right which is Neil's middle well, yeah. name. Um, and then that turned into Crowded House. Yeah. Um, and as... <laughs> Neil said, he goes, he goes if, you wanna, if you wanna have a successful band, after a successful band, break up your successful band and then form another band. Um, and <laughs> bang, away it went. And um, yeah. Yeah. look, I haven't really crossed paths with, directly with, with um, Neil, but Tim and I were backstage once when a, a, a rock and roll fan ran up to Tim and said, aren't you Mark Seymour? From um, Hunters and Collectors, and if you're not familiar with Hunters and Collectors, they're a very successful band. I love them band. too. Yep. Yeah. Nick Seymour's um, brother, Mark, is the guy is the main guy in Hunters and Collector. Nick was the bass. That's right. Yeah, so Nick Seymour yep. being the bass player in Crowded House, and away he went. And of course, yep. Hunters and Collectors was very popular with. Um, I love them. Eddie Vedder. Um, yes. From Pearl yes. Jam. Um, mm-hmm. And so this guy runs up and goes, "Aren't you Mark Seymour?" I've always wanted to meet you. And he goes, no, no. He says, yeah, 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 Hunters and Collectors. He goes, no, no. And I go, no, no, this is, this is Tim Finn. He goes, oh, who? <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, poor Tim Finn's ego. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Not only does my little brother get, become more famous than I do, but this guy... Can't even differentiate between me and Mark Seymour. Oh, that's a, too bad. For that's, Tim. It was, it was so funny, and I, you know, of course, uh, and of course, I had to feel for him. You know, um, uh-huh. <laughs> he wasn't recognized. <laughs> anyway. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, I wish I. I feel bad saying this. I've never quite acquired a taste for Tim Finn's music, but Neil Finn is my absolute favorite songwriter. Crowded House is my favorite band. Their debut album is my number one favorite album of all time. I just saw him in concert a couple months ago again for like the tenth time. He's my all-time favorite, and uh, but I've never quite come around to Tim. I don't know what it is, but well, yeah, I mean, I, I think the uh, if you want to hear Tim at his best, then you listen to I See Red by Split Ends, and then oh, also totally. yeah. uh, the song off Escapade, which is called Made My Day, which is a stunning song by Tim Finn. But you know the I mean, if they had have gone on to form 
you know, a duet, maybe it would have been as spectacular as Savage Garden. But, yeah, um, yeah. you know, uh, who yeah. would, the world is a better place for having Crowded House. I mean, Neil's voice is stunning. His songwriting is spectacular. Um, yeah. Both the brothers are mad Beatles freaks, and you can hear it yeah. in the yeah. music. And, and, I mean, if you're going to be a fan of anybody's music, you should be a fan of the Beatles. Um, you know, yeah. The world is a better place for Crowded House. I saw them live yeah. in, in Hollywood once, and I thought, oh, this is really cool. You know, yeah. It's me old mates from bloody Australia. Well, mm-hmm. New Zealand. You know, I mean, you know, look at them. It yeah. was great, great to see. Yeah, I love them. Okay, well, those are those littler guys. Let's go for the bigger guys. In excess. Yes. Have you, I'm sure you had to have crossed paths with In excess at some point. Oh, yeah. Can you share us a yeah, story? Right. Yeah, lots of times, you know, and it's, okay. um, it's uh, you know, because uh, I met them first in the 70s when they were the Farris brothers, um, mm. and I'm from the same area, the northern beaches of Sydney, um, which is just down the road from me now. Um, okay. And uh, they, we all grew up together. And so, you know, they knew that I was a musician. I worked in a music shop. They'd come in there. I'd talk to Tim Farris and, you know, uh, uh, Kirk Pengilly, who's still a friend of mine. Um, oh, good. And, you know, they'd say, we were doing this. We went over to Perth, which is in Western Australia. And, by the way, Western Australia is bigger than Texas. And, um, you know, they they did shows over there and got their chops together and you know then I remember running into Tim Farris outside the music shop I was working in in like 1977 or something and he goes Mark, Mark, oh yeah I go yeah yeah mate what's happening and he goes oh look and we got a new manager and uh, and uh, we, we changed the name of the band I go to what he goes I in excess in excess I go okay Okay, um, uh, that sounds really cool and hip and modern. Um, and then progressively and slowly, they became more and more successful. I only met Michael um, uh, on a couple of occasions doing shows together and what have you. Um, so I didn't really have much interaction okay. with him. Um, but I, I did talk to Andrew Farris uh, a couple of months ago because we were at a charity function or ball. Oh. And okay. so we... We chatted at great length, which was really good because, you know, we're talking about all sorts of stuff, children and mm-hmm. life and, you know, and I thought, he's really normal now. And I'll yeah. explain why he's really normal now. My first conversation with, with Andrew was in a, in a shopping mall, um, one of Australia's first, uh, called Warringah Mall. Mm-hmm. And we were in a, a store called David Jones, which is like, uh, you know, um, yeah, what's one of your big shopping, you know, stores? Whatever. Nordstrom. You know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and we're talking, you know, and I started talking. You know I love to talk, right, John? Mm-hmm. You can tell I love to talk. I'm talking <laughs> I have found that. And luckily yeah. you're good at it. Yeah, well, I like to talk, you know. And, you yeah, know, it's, good. Like, it's, a, it's a good way to impress people, particularly yeah. if you're if you sound half intelligent like me. Anyway, exactly. I'm prattling on to Andrew, and he goes, in the middle of my sentence, he goes, i got to go. And this is like 1976, like, and he just walked off. I went, okay. <laughs> Bye, Andrew. <laughs> and I hadn't really spoken to him, you know, um, you know, the first time again was about five years ago. And, of course, I've oh, never wow. brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I have brought wow. him up to Kirk Pengilly and he goes, Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> oh man, no way. Um, yeah, the hey, Paris, think... Paris brothers, uh, yeah. of course there's three of them, you know, being yeah. um, you know, John, Andrew John, and Tim, um Andrew, and Tim yeah. are very, very strange people. And Tim actually auditioned for a band that I was putting together. Um, my memory was going to be called WBB, which stood for World's Best Band. And, of course, it wasn't the World's Best Band, uh-huh. and it never did a show. So hmm. uh, Tim, Tim auditioned, and he, and he said, uh, you know, he goes, oh, this, this is really cool. This is really cool. I said, all right, well, it's a bit weird. You know, you're a bit of a strange player, but let's play some 12-bar blues. So we started to play some 12-bar blues, again, and he couldn't do it. I said, uh-huh. uh um, it's 12 bar blues. He said, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to play it. And I'll explain why in a minute, right? Uh, okay. Why he couldn't play. See, I, I don't know how to play it. He said, but, uh, do you want to have some Buddha? Um, now if you're not familiar with, with what Buddha is, it's, uh, some form of marijuana. Okay. Oh. Um, so that's how okay. the audition ended, right? So mm-hmm. years later, I asked Kirk Pengilly to, do a charity function with me, you know, to raise money for something or other. And uh-huh. I said, you know, if you can get up and jam, I said, I can't do that. I said, why? He said, I can only play in excess music. And the oh. whole band is like that. They cannot play. Really? Um, they cannot play anybody else's music. I can play just about anybody else's music as long as it's not too complicated. Sure. They cannot, they cannot play anything but in excess music. Is that because they are not like, I mean, I hate to say this, is that because they're not actual musicians? Or are they Mm. sort of, uh, not props, that may not be the right term, but were they just sort of thrown in maybe because everyone's good looking and let's put them in here and play this part and, but no, I think that I think like it was like look, it's like you too. Sorry, John, but cut you no, off. There. It's like you too. Yeah, they formed at school and college and whatever, and Bono couldn't actually sing at all. Yeah, they just yeah. wanted him to be the singer. And uh, um, uh, what's the bass player's name? Um, uh, Adam Clayton. Adam Adam Clayton, right? He mm-hmm. couldn't play bass. with guys that they just liked. Now, there's a lot to be said for that, because you get this individualistic thing happening. And I think for In Excess, it was the same thing. They go, well, uh, I can play a little. I'll just kind of work it into making sounds. And it starts to sound good. That's when we have a thing. And I think that that's how you get an individual kind of texture to a band. So I think that's the reason they they got together. You're probably right. John Farris is an incredible drummer. Um, mm-hmm. Andrew is a great keyboard player and a great songwriter. And yeah. Michael, as it turns out, can sing a whole lot of stuff or could have sung a whole lot of stuff beyond the in excess stuff. Okay, last one. I gotta, well, I got to ask you about Midnight Oil. Um, I get, yes. you know, we talked about them earlier. What's your take on Midnight Oil? They seem like good guys. They seem obviously very politically driven, um, almost maniacally so. Peter Garrett leaves retires from music to, what, become a member of Parliament, I believe, right? Yes, um, but that didn't last for very long um, because uh, his party got bumped out of the next election, so his political career is now over. Um, and I think that Midnight Oil are actually planning on doing 
either it be a tour or a mini tour next yeah, year. Um, yeah. Look, they were, once again, another Northern Beaches band of Sydney, um, where, where I basically grew up. And they were, you know, <laughs> you've never seen anything like it. It was really? just when we'd done so many shows with them back in the day, right? yeah. um, uh, particularly in the early 80s, they were unbelievable. They, yeah. the, the, the energy, the mm. commitment, the, yeah. the, the, it's beyond an X factor. You know, it was yeah, like it is. A, a quadruple blah, blah, blah mm. factor. And yeah. the connection with the audience, and it was, it was so intense, and they were so Australian, and they were so special uh, yeah. that that I, you know, they're, they're, you know, I've seen a lot of bands. You know, I've seen, or I've seen, you know, Bruce Springsteen. I've seen um, John Cougar Mellencamp. I've seen mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin. I've seen Creedence Clearwater. I've seen mm-hmm. ABBA. You know, um, mm-hmm. and there, there's been very, very few, even international acts that have been, that have been as good as what Midnight Oil were in their day in Australia. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and I think, I'm, I don't know whether I mentioned it to you before, I saw them at Madison Square Garden in New York, and mm-hmm. they didn't have that thing that they had in Australia. It was in, oh. intrinsic to Australia. It was so unbelievable. And if anybody had witnessed it, you know, if you just had have been there, one of the gigs, yeah. you would have gone, yeah. oh, my God. You know, it was, I believe it. It was outstanding. Um and musically, once again, they were very different as well. It was like mm-hmm. an amalgam of, of punk um, yep. and Australian, you know, surf music, and, mm-hmm. you know, the surf culture, because once you said they were Northern Beaches band, so they had this mm-hmm. energy, you know, and Australians hit mm-hmm. the instruments really hard, and these guys hit them really hard. So we were yeah. coming out of punk. We were, you know... Yeah. Australian music culture was exploding. It was the surf thing. It was political, yeah. um, and it was very energized. It was, yeah. it was. They were unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. I've seen them twice. I saw them when I was like 14 years old during the beds are burning high time of their career, and then I saw them just before they quit at the Fillmore in San Francisco, and that was one of the greatest shows. I've, both of them were great, but. Seeing them again when I was older and more mature and could fully grasp what I was seeing, even though it wasn't Australia in the early 80s, there's nothing like Peter Garrett. He's one of the greatest front men of all time. And you mentioned hitting it hard. I've always felt like Rob Hurst was one of the greatest drummers, especially underappreciated. Maybe maybe in Australia he gets that kind of you know acclaim, but over here they're just basically a one-hit wonder. Um, but he's one of the greatest... That sound, that hard-hitting sound, is so powerful, and he's the guy doing yeah. it. I just love him. Yeah, well, the, the, uh, Rob would love to hear that um, because Rob was really, you know, and they've just done a. Uh, he's been always in the midst of doing a tour with uh, all the Midnight All memorabilia, and he, and he kept it in his house. He kept, mm-hmm. kept it in a, his garage or under the house. So he's got a, a you know like truckloads of stuff, you know, like oh, road wow. cases yeah. and posters and different stage setups. And, you know, he's been dragging this around the country doing exhibitions with it. And I went along to one. It was incredible. Um, but Rob Hurst was really the driving force, mm-hmm. I think, in 
Midnight Oil. Um, And I think it was mainly him, forgive me if I'm wrong, that picked Pete Garrett as uh, the front guy. Uh, because I think that obviously there would have been, you know, people going, "We well, really can't sing, mate." You yeah, know? right. He's, he's a, and he looks he's weird, a, and he dances he's a weird. He's singer, you know, but yeah. but but look at him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, I know. he's charismatic and he's yeah. super intelligent, yeah. dynamic, and he dances like a weirdo. And you know, mm-hmm. we've got to get him in the band. And it was the smartest thing ever. Yeah, yeah, it you was. Know? Oh, right on. Okay. Well, um, okay, so one, two final questions. Number one, when you look back on your career, and this is a little different talking to you because most people I talk to, their careers are not as active as yours remains. Um, do you look back and have any kind of regrets? Is there anything, we, we talked earlier about you guys never really making an effort to tour in America or crack America or even do much in America. Maybe that's it. Uh, not that we're the end-all, beat-all, but it would have expanded your footprint globally. And then secondly, what do you, when you think back on your career, we've been talking about these great bands you've known and, and socialized with. Is there a moment when you were, you met a hero, you played some amazing show, that, something? What is the greatest rock and roll delicious memory that's in your brain that when you sit back and look at your life and you just think, I can't believe that happened to me? How would you answer look, those uh, two questions? Well, I remember one question that was... <laughs> oh, did I talk too much? The regret and the delicious memory. Sorry. The, the, look, the biggest regret is, I think, when you said that, was that I took it too seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, if I hadn't have taken it so seriously, so serious, then it might have been easier. I think the biggest regret was not chewing America when we had the chance um, because I think that we would have worked in America because yeah. me being half Irish, you know, because mm-hmm. really that's where the American accent comes from, I think anyway, <laughs> um, you know, being half Irish and, and, uh, and really loving um, so much about the American culture that that is probably the biggest regret. And that's mm-hmm. coupled with taking it too serious, you know, thinking that, okay. oh, look, I went to an hour. We'll be able to do that again. See, those opportunities don't present themselves again. Yeah. And I would have loved to have cracked America, you know, mm-hmm. primarily because I I feel a kinship for the place. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the greatest moment, you know, and I've mentioned this a few times, and it should be about something that we've done. But, you know, I think that our best shows are now. I don't think that mm-hmm. the, the best moments are now. I think we just toured cool. with uh, Cheap Trick and and uh, Billy Idol uh, earlier this year or last year. And, and, you know, we did some amazing shows, and that was wonderful. One of the greatest moments that I remember is that Ian, our bass player, we call him Link, he said, mate, you know, you've got to come down and and see this this band place. It's got a residency at the D.Y. Hotel. Um, And this was like 1983, I think, or something like that. It's got a residency at the DY Hotel, um, and they've got a chick singer, and you've got to see them on a Tuesday night. I went, oh, yeah. So eventually we rocked down there, and these four guys come out and start playing, and I went, these guys are cool. Mm-hmm. There's a microphone out front. What's that for? See, I'd forgotten that he said a chick singer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so they play some instrumental song, right? And then they did another song, and out comes this chick kind of dressed in a schoolgirl outfit. 
And this was my first experience with Divinals. That's who I thought and, you were going to say. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. And that was the most astonishing live performance I have ever seen in my life. And even when I think about it now, I get chills up and down my spine. They were unbelievable. You know, I think I'm in the Northern Beaches, D.Y. Hotel. This is a hotel, a pub, right? Uh-huh. And, and in Australia, right? I'm not in London. You know, I'm not in, you know, Sweden or something. I'm not in the United States. I'm not in Canada. I'm in, in Australia, and I'm... Mm-hmm. Ex- and you've got to remember we took our influences from everywhere we experienced sure. everything we had international acts touring all the time then and we had sure. television you know the whole th- well we did have television you know of course on, you know, people right. probably went what? Australians yeah. got television? that's shocking <laughs> you know but you know we you know it did make it all the stuff yeah. yeah and so but I'm here going oh my god interesting what? This is unbelievable. This is as good, or if not better, than ACDC. Right? This was like, wow. this band is incredible. Okay, there were like 220 people in the audience, maybe, right? Huh. And they yeah. only had 12 songs, right? And they finished, right? They finished, and uh-huh. the place stood up. Really? Stood up and gave them a standing ovation. I have not seen it before. Wow. I have not seen it again. Anywhere in Australia. A standing ovation, right? And Christina Ranford gets up and goes, well, we, we don't have any more songs, but, you know, I'm doing a terrible Christina Ranford <laughs> imitation. So we don't, we don't need more songs, but we can play one of the others and go, yes, please. No wow. to re-experience what we just experienced. It, for yeah. me, it was the greatest moment in rock and roll. Ever. Whoa. That is totally from left field. But what a great story. Again, talk about a one-hit wonder and unfortunately even a not kind of a novelty song in the States. That's really all they're known for. You've got to dig deep and be really into alternative 80s radio to know anything more about them. That is great. Good for them. Yeah. Well, well yeah. I mean, you know, look, I've, I've seen Springsteen, right? And sure. this show's incredible. You know that, right? He's really yeah. good at it. He knows yeah. what he's doing. But this was something else, you know, and it wow. was, they were never quite that good again, right? Yeah. But yeah. this was something else, you know, it was a, just a magical moment in time, you know, and I was there to experience it. Um, yeah. And like I said, a standing ovation, you know, from yeah. people who probably didn't know what a standing ovation was. That is killer. Oh, uh, Very cool. Cool memory. Yes. All right. Well, Mark, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for doing this. I thought we would chat 10 more minutes and we went about a half hour. And I hope that's okay because I love hearing your stories. But we um, Actually, we went, we went for 39 minutes and 14, 15, 16, <laughs> 17, 18, 19 seconds. It keeps going. It keeps going. Good. There you have it, Mark Gable. Funny dude, right? Such a personality. And I don't mean just that he has a big personality. I mean, he is a personality, like a TV personality or a radio personality. You know what I mean? Funny guy. Also, we talked a little politics there, which I normally either cut that part out of the final version that I release, or I just don't go there. 
but we went there this time. I hope that's okay. I wanted to close it out with probably my favorite Choir Boys song. It's called Lonely, and it's off the, one of their albums that they put out in the 90s called Yo-Yo. Really good stuff. Now, we're going to stay in Australia next week. So come back next week. We're talking to another legend of Australia, and if you're an American, you would know at least one of their huge songs. If you grew up in the 80s like I did, you know these guys and you love these guys. I'm excited for you to hear it. Also, I apologize, Corey. When I was talking to Mark, I couldn't remember where you lived, but you live in Seattle, and I'm sorry that it didn't come to mind when we were talking. Okay, everybody, go on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast if you like what we're doing here and write us a review. Uh, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send me a message on there. If you want to do what Corey did and send me a message of a band or an artist that you love that you haven't heard from for a long time, send me a note, and I'll try and track those people down and have them on the, have them on the show. You can send me an email, too, if you want, at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich. Thank you, Yan, for working on this one. You're the best. Everybody, we will talk to you next Tuesday with another Australian guest that I'm excited for you to hear. Have a good one.